Greetings and welcome to another episode of the Hammer and Umpire Podcast. As always, I'm your host, Kevin Weber. I hope you guys are enjoying your fall. I know that fall baseball for the colder parts of the country is winding down. I worked a game this past weekend at the minor league ballpark here in town, which is always kind of fun. And I I suspect that that likely will be the last games I work of the season here in mid-October. That's okay. You know, I've had a pretty good season and, you know, it's time to kind of move on to the next page of the umpiring uh, calendar, which is assigning and and, uh, evaluating where you are as an umpire and trying to do some training and reading of rule books and things like that. You know, the off-season months here for us in the colder climates. Nonetheless, I will also be working on some podcasts. I've got a little one for you here. Not quite a mini one like I've done previously, but uh, one that is maybe not on the lengthier side. I've got a few important topics that I wanted to cover that were on my mind. So I put a couple things together. I've got a thing on how you have a good relationship with your signer. Um, Also... The whole topic of this podcast is the age of accountability. So I have a little segment that delves into that a little bit. And uh, this is the time where we have changes in rules and mechanics that come about. The CCA manual is out. So they have some changes for three and four man uh, umpiring and some other things as well. But I touch a little bit on the um, big changes that they have for three umpire mechanics, which I think are pretty good. But I've got a little segment on that. So just uh, a little segment here and there for your listening pleasure as we wind down into the winter months of the baseball season and the Major League World Series and is upon us after we get through all these early rounds of the playoffs. All right. But it's still kind of fun to watch. So anyway, sit back and listen to another episode of the Hammer and Umpire podcast. So in a recent article in Referee Magazine, John Bible, the Hall of Fame collegiate umpire, uh, wrote an article about how the role of umpires has transformed over the years. And I think he makes a valuable point in his article that all umpires should assume that they're always being evaluated. So in the early days of umpiring, let's say the 1960s through the 1990s, umpiring was a whole different ballgame. Umpires operated without complex rating systems or much supervision. Uh, They relied on word of mouth, friendships with assigners, a bit of luck to get good assignments and advance in their careers. Back then, there was freedom on the field. Umpires could, you know, expand or shrink the strike zones depending on the situation. And they could handle unruly players without fearing repercussions. It was a mix of skill, you know, connections even politics that determined an umpire's success. So that system had its pros and cons, of course. On one hand, it allowed for you know, flexibility and some self-expression. But on the other hand, it sometimes led to unprofessional behavior and a lack of consistency in the game. Fast forward to today, and the umpiring world has done a complete 180. 
umpires are you know now held to strict performance standards and assess using, using complex metrics i mean we see that on television and that's coming down to the collegiate game it's the age of accountability and you know some people may resist it but it's certainly here to stay and it's only going to increase so the shift towards accountability means umpires need to constantly improve um, there's always somebody coming up behind you that's trying to take your spot that must be in peak physical condition knowledgeable about rules and mechanics and adept at handling any situation that arises so umpires are encouraged you know to invest in self-improvement um, study guides video analysis seeking advice from seasoned umpires are all part of the process and attending clinics and camps isn't you know it's not just about networking it's about learning to grow and um, learning how to become a better umpire the key is to always give 100% effort, regardless of whether an evaluator is present, uh, because there's always a camera there and there's always somebody talking. You know, confidence comes from honing your skills and crafting a positive image that you are consistently presenting. And remember, it's not about you know one play or one pitch; it's about your whole body of work. As umpires, you know, the presence of an evaluator can be nerve-wracking for sure i know i've experienced that a bit but it's essential to stay true to your style and you know not overdo it if you are being evaluated confidence and control should shine through in your actions so when you've got the plate focus on slow rhythmical consistent timing warm-up pitches can help you you know ease into that game you know if you know that they're there from the start take deep breaths and go for it once that first pitch is thrown you'll be in the zone all right, that's the way you got to kind of go at it. Same thing on the bases, telling yourself to slow down and have the best timing you can. If your evaluator offers feedback, you have to embrace that. Don't be defensive. Be receptive. Um, taking criticism well can make a significant difference in your umpiring journey and where you get to. So, you know, to wrap it up here, you know, the world of umpiring has come a long way from its informal beginnings to this new era of accountability um, it's a journey that demands dedication and self-improvement and the ability to adapt to change and the assumption that you are always being assessed mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Let's talk for a few minutes about building a good relationship with your assigner. It's a key to your success as an umpire. So building a good relationship between an umpire and their assigner involves several key factors. Let's talk about a few of those. Number one, communication. You have to keep an open and regular communication channel with your assigner. Update them on your availability. If you're using Arbiter or such a program, 
Make sure you update your blocks and availability there. Let them know about any scheduling conflicts and changes promptly if there's something that happens. Second thing, reliability. Be dependable and consistent in your assignments. If you take the assignment, you do it. You don't turn back assignments or almost never do unless it's a very good reason your assigner would understand. Show up on time for your games. Fulfill those commitments. Reliability is highly valued uh, in the assigning community, uh, whether it be baseball or any other sport. That goes with the next thing, professionalism. You have to maintain a high level of professionalism on and off the field. So you dress appropriately, you exhibit good sportsmanship and handle conflicts calmly and respectfully, whether that be during a ball game or with other people within the umpiring community. Next thing, continuous improvement. You got to seek feedback from your assigner or assigners if you have more than one and work on improving your umpiring skills. You gotta attend clinics and camps and workshops and training sessions or whatever it might be to stay updated and hone your craft. The next thing is, maybe could be the top of the list, flexibility. Be willing to accept various assignments, even if it's outside your comfort zone in some way. This can demonstrate your commitment and versatility if you're there for your assignment, uh, for uh, your assigner for a particular assignment, they will be there for you down the road if you're that kind of person and that kind of umpire. Next, adherence to policy. You know, every sport has its own guidelines, and, and certain local areas have certain guidelines too. Follow policies and guidelines set by your sport. You know, here in Michigan, the MHSAA or uh, you know, I work collegiate baseball, what the collegiate baseball uh, world is saying that you have to do and the way things are supposed to be done. Do those things. You don't want to be the lone wolf person out there being rogue, doing your own thing. So that, you know, is how you handle your games. But this includes, you know, of course, rules, but also con uh, code of conduct, any of those kind of things. Make sure you're adhering to policies because that's a way you can get skipped over. And this will help you um, with the next thing is build a positive reputation. You know, all right. So aim to be well regarded by coaches, players, and fellow officials. Um, you want a reputation as fair and knowledgeable umpire that um, that can lead to more assignments, obviously, for you. I'm not saying be buddy-buddy with people and be talking them up and all that, but you want that reputation as somebody that they want working their games because of your high quality of officiating. All right. Next, express some gratitude. Show appreciation to your assigner for any opportunities they might provide. Simple thank you can go a long way in building some rapport. I'm not saying you got to, you know, send them gifts or something like that. You certainly don't. But just, you know, understand what job they do and that they are appreciated for the things that they that they undertake. Next thing, networking. I mean, if you're doing all these other things, you probably are networking. You know, you got to attend meetings and events. Don't skip out on those. Oh, I don't need that. All right. Um, networking can provide you um, some established connections and learn about other potential opportunities um, for umpiring. And then, you know, last but certainly not least, it's just consistent performance. Strive for consistent and high quality performance. 
you know, a track record of making good calls and handling situations is going to obviously enhance your relationship with your assigner and get you more opportunities and continue to move up in the officiating world and the umpiring world, okay? So remember that building a good relationship, it takes time, it takes effort. You have to be patient and persistent, and your assigner will appreciate your dedication uh, to your role as an umpire, and uh, down the road certainly will reward you if that is something that... um, you're looking for, which most of us are. We, we get into this, yeah, we want to maybe make some money. We want to have success at it, but we want to have as much success as we can and move as high a level as we possibly can in the officiating world before our time's done, before we aren't able to do it for whatever reason. So those are a few things that I think about as I'm an assigner um, that I look for in people that I assign games for, but also those are things I try to strive for um, for the assigners that I work for, which are several. I hope that uh, that maybe helps a few of you newer people out or makes a few of the veterans out there think about how they handle situations and with their assigner and uh, their relationship and try to make that as best you can because that will make your umpiring life so much easier. If you visit the Spotify page for the Hammer and Umpire podcast, you notice I have a poll here for this particular episode about uh, who you think is the greatest umpire in baseball history. And I give you four choices. Uh, Bill Clem, you know, um, widely regarded as one of the greatest umpires in baseball history due to his longevity and contributions to umpiring techniques. Uh, Joe West known for his lengthy career and strong presence on the field and officiated numerous World Series and All-Star Games. Hank O'Day, he was a respected umpire in the early years of professional baseball, and he's known for making a crucial call in the 1908 World Series. And Doug Harvey, known as God in baseball circles, was highly respected for his knowledge of the rules and his ability to maintain control over the game. So, I'd like you to go there and take a vote, and we'll see what um, what comes out of the listeners here as far as who you think is the greatest umpire in baseball history. I've covered all those guys in previous episodes in Umpire Spotlights, so if you want to go back to previous episodes and listen to the segments that I had about them, feel free to do so. Nonetheless, I'll be interested to know what uh, comes about with this particular poll It's kind of like, a, I guess, a little bit of an election here on the Hammer and Umpire podcast. So uh, the new edition of the CCA Mechanics Manual came out, and there are some... uh, interesting and significant changes in mechanics for 2024 in college baseball. And I'm sure a lot of these will trickle down to um, other areas of amateur baseball, like high school baseball as well. Um, I particularly was focused on the three umpire system changes. There are some also for the four umpire system, which I'll speak about at a later time. But like the first one they had was that with a runner on third base only with less than two outs, you know, the plate umpire will 
now take all fly ball tag up responsibilities on R3. This would be a change to the current mechanic where U3 would drop down into the third base coach's box and line up the tag on fly balls within, you know, U3's fly ball coverage area. This is tricky. All right, I don't know how many of you have experienced it. I'm sure many of you have, but it's, it's, a, it's a tricky read, okay? So the rationale behind this is simple, that third base umpires are too concerned with lining up tags on R3 and not taking the adequate amount of time to pause, read, and react, and often rush through or ignore their initial responsibility, which is catch or no catch in their coverage area. So U3 would have two options on these five balls. Go out on trouble or hold the line and stay with the fly ball, much like U1 would do at first base with no runners on. If there was a playback into third base on R3, then U3 would simply slide down the third base line and take the play at third base, also similar to what U1 would do at first base with no runners on. U1 would have all plays on the better runner at first and second base on these type of plays, as you might guess. So they're going to have to read. U3 would run into the infield on fly balls that are hit in U1's uh, fly ball coverage area and have all plays on the batter runner at first, second, and third base. Balls that are hit directly to the center fielder straight in or straight back would be treated the same as no runners on situation with U1 as the quarterback. So these three movements are consistent, um, you know, like with the current mechanic, all right? I think that's a good change. Um, I had that uh, situation, that exact situation happened to me when I was working at UIC last year, and I had a fly ball. I thought there was a normal fly ball to left field straight away. It was a windy night. I read it too quickly, and the ball started drifting toward the line. So I, I go down to line up the tag up in the coach's box, and then I got this ball that's now going to be questionable, fair foul, and ended up being fair, and the guy caught it, and you know, nothing really happened, but it was not a good read. I should have gone out on it. I mean, it was ended up down the line and was a trickier catch than I initially thought. In this situation, I would just pause and read it. Either I'd be taking it from the line, which is then okay because it was a fair foul type situation, or I might have even gone out on it. And then, you know, the home plate umpire would have just taken that anyway. So that would have been perfect. All right. So I think that that is a a tremendous change, and I wish that's the way I would have been able to do things uh, last year. All right, the other change is first base umpire movement in the three umpire system. So, like the movements of the first base umpire from the A position in the three umpire system are very important, especially in situations where the ball is hit in the third base umpire's fly ball coverage area with no one on base. In many such cases, based on the action of U3, First base umpire will be responsible for plays on the batter runner at both first, second, first and second base, and possibly even you know third base, right? To be in the best possible position to take these plays and stay ahead of the batter runner, U1 must move or slash immediately into the diamond in the direction of second base immediately on all fly balls hit in U3's coverage area. That's kind of what I tried to do and what I try to teach when I'm helping with the three-man camps. It should be our goal to beat the batter runner to an initial play at second or third base, allowing an umpire to make late and meaningful adjustments 
as the play develops or to be in a good position to move back in the direction toward first base if that batter runner decides to stay at first. Anyway, in both cases, immediate movement into the diamond puts umpires in the best position to rule on all plays and never trail the batter runner into a base um, playing catch-up from the line or the coach's box and looking through people and all that kind of stuff. So if you three moves across the diamond to assume responsibility for the batter runner at second base as U1 has begun to slash, then U1 can easily retreat toward first base or even the coach's boxes and remain in rotation for the play. So it's very important that all umpires use strong visual and verbal communication in situations where dual responsibilities exist and coverages overlap. This communication will not only help umpires more effectively cover plays, but will encourage and ensure that breakdowns in fly ball and base coverages happen less frequently. So the first base umpire will remain the quarterback on fly balls when both umpires are on the lines. It's acceptable for the third base umpire to hold the line at third base, render a fair foul decision and come back for plays at third base while you want assumes responsibility for the batter runner at first and second base. If this does occur, it's very important that umpires are in constant verbal and or nonverbal communication, ensuring they're on the same page. That is a tricky thing with three man, especially when you're first coming to it, that you, you have to have that extra level of communication. So it's important to note that all R1 and R2 situations, regardless of the number of outs, if U1 does not go out, it is suggested U1 immediately move into the diamond, putting U1 in the best position to take all possible plays based on the variable status of the baseball. If the ball is caught with less than two outs, U1 can rotate to home from a position inside the diamond for plays on R2. If the ball drops U1 is ahead of the batter runner for a possible play at second and in a good position to retreat to first for a play back into the base. So I think some good and meaningful changes in how people will be uh, working three-man mechanics. Um, I hope to be able to do those as well, and and those are things that definitely will be needed to be pre-gamed throughout the season, certainly early on. that concludes another episode of the hammer and umpire podcast thank you for listening thank you for listening all the way through until the conclusion i do appreciate it i appreciate all the feedback and support that i get for the podcast around the country and really around the world i have listeners in many different countries i hope that you gain something from these mini segments that i put together for you I've got a few other things in mind. I will be talking about some of the changes in four-man mechanics and some of the rule changes in future podcast episodes. Um, frequently, I try to get around you know, 40, 45-minute podcast episodes, but I might just try to do some that are more 20, 25 minutes and see how that goes. Just do a few segments and just put out maybe a few more episodes rather than just one big longer one. Um, I'm going to try to be a little more consistent with that. Maybe I'll put out a couple of episodes a month or so. That's kind of my goal. We'll see how it goes here in the off season. I'll have a little bit more time to do that since I won't be 
working any games here um, as the cold weather months come about. So you guys hang in there. Make sure you're always thinking about some umpiring and how you might be improving. Stay in good shape over these winter months. Don't eat too much. If you do, make sure you exercise it off or do the best you can for it. And make sure you're ready to go once the warm weather in the spring heads back our way. Until then, keep calling strikes.